we can very easily try to compartmentalize God and God's like like you have no you don't <laughs> you have no idea the level of chess that I'm playing with you people right now. <laughs> yeah, level of chess that I'm playing, but also like you're my child and I've called you to a thing. You're part of the family. Yeah. Do you get to work now? Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are my friends and yours, Karen and Tracy. Good morning. And we will not have Amy today. She is doing other things, so we will talk behind her back with derision and scorn. Yeah, I didn't even <laughs> think of that. That's a great idea. <laughs> Take Maybe that, Amy. Text her and tell her so she makes sure. We'll apologize next week. Yeah, so, sorry for all the terrible things we said about you, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure Amy will be back with us next time, I am sure. So don't worry about that. Oh, uh, guys, I'm having a, I won't call it a conundrum or a crisis or anything, but I'm having a hard time deciding how I feel about events of the past week with the passing of the Queen uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people that are, you know, sad about it. And, you know, being here in the United States, I, my, uh, okay, I'm going to be honest. My first thought was hashtag not my queen. Yeah, but, I get that. I mean, yeah, there's a lot. There's political past of the United States. <laughs> it's almost like celebrity status that gets assigned to the royals because honestly, there's not that much royalty left in the world that really is in the spot. Like, I think, I think some of the Scandinavian countries have kings and queens, but nobody ever really talks about them. Right. Like the only sort of royal family that gets talked about is the one in Great Britain. So the thing that's interesting to me is I think that. I'm I'm kind of a history person. So when I look at the history of what what England, the throne of England, including this queen, did as it, you know, spread first world whatever to the rest of the world, I don't like it. Yeah. To me that's like horrible. Like, you know, the genocide and the mistreatment and the like you're a different color so you're not worth anything like some of those some of the colonization techniques that the english throne has used over the centuries this monarch included are pretty awful to me so yeah. in that respect i just kind of well okay whatever it's you know i also think it gave me like a pulse of what the world is like now because i think it was she was the last kind of link to a like karen saying a colonizing past yeah mm -hmm. a style uh, monarch a style leadership style of rule yeah that was very um entrenched in racial inequalities mm. i am i would be happy to shut the door on that chapter of the world because it was awful when it existed and it and tracy to take your point and expand on it in some places it was racial in other mm -hmm. places it was rich versus poor Yes. Right. It was it was mm -hmm. whatever mechanism spread your kingdom. And that makes exactly. it so gross to me. Like if yep. we can play a racial card, we'll play a racial card. But the you know, the rich Chinese were selling the poor Chinese and the rich Scottish Scots were selling the poor Scots and the rich Irish were selling the poor Irish. And like it wasn't it wasn't it was race on race as well. So a lot of it was it was just it was any point of division by which we can capitalize and be and and dig in our roots and rule and take over. It was just like, why? Why do you have to have everything? Can't you just let India be India? Can't you let you know, 
and this is what I saw too. That was it. That just kind of let me know that the world is a diff, very much different place. And this was a, one of the last kind of, kind of old, old kind of rule mentalities. Is that when she passed, while they did give their condolences, they were quick to say, "Can we get back our stuff now?" Right. I don't know if you guys heard that one, but India's like. You know, you have a lot of our jewels that you yeah. you took while you colonize us. We'd like those back now. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, um, South Africa, Kenya, Nigeria, Australia, India, Egypt, Barbados, Fiji. They all jumped in there and were like, okay, we'd like some of our stuff there that you've been kind of holding hostage to. Yeah. Mm. And it's like, okay, you know, this is going to sound mean. And, you know, maybe she wasn't quite yet cold. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But that saying, tells you how much stuff. anger lingered. Yes, yes. And it's yeah. like, wow. Okay, yeah. so, and it is truly like a changing of the guard now where you, you talk about, you know, um, Prince Charles or now King Charles. Um, mm-hmm. People are just like, uh, yeah, whatever. He's He's got, you know, first world problems just like everybody else. Uh, and, you know, Can the you queen, imagine giving your first job when now you're like, wow, okay. Can you guys imagine you're st- starting your first job when you're in your 70s? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, that was Anyway, yeah. I, I I hope that it can shift to something different. I don't like if I were that person, I would not have wanted that to be my legacy. But my lifelong goals are not power and riches. And mm-hmm. I kind of when somebody's lifelong goals are power and riches, I kind of think it's gross. So yeah. on behalf of a kingdom, maybe you can a little bit justify that. It's like, you know, the strong always overpower the weak. But I I would like to see this be a shift to something different. And I hope that some of the places that were colonized under those horrible, horrible methods can find a little bit of peace and maybe some autonomy. I mean, even Canada is a is a British, you know, like look who's on their money. Mm-hmm. So even yep. even Canada is even though they have their own prime minister, you know, and he's up there hosing people as hard and fast as he can, you know, go whatever your name is. And I just I don't know. I I just hope that something different can happen, and we'll see. Yeah, it will. Yeah, it will be interesting. Uh, I have a feeling Charles is going to be cut from the same cloth a bit, but maybe William when that comes. See, and this is interesting because I had heard years ago that Charles was not going to take the throne after her because he was divorced. Yeah, that's what I, I heard that too. too. <laughs> so I but was guess surprised. What? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I was that, surprised that um, I heard he that his was, wife would never be called queen, but I think she's yeah. called queen consort or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Philip like, was Philip was what prince consort or something like that. Like he wasn't. He wasn't ever going to be king, even if he, even if she had died before him, he wouldn't have been king, right? For that same reason. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah it was kind of interesting. I. Yeah, kind of a kind of a mixed bag for me, and there's a lot there that's gross. Like mm. the human in me wants to admire a monarch, and yeah. I, I kind of a lot of the stuff I knew about the English throne I didn't admire. So, eh, whatever. But, yeah. but then, too, I guess on the other side, too, it's it's still a loss of a life, even though, you know, 96 years old. A powerful Something life. like that. Powerful. You know, it, that's a, a a good life as it is. But you still, you know, you still feel bad for the family and a loss and you mm-hmm. know, a, a loss of a parent, a grandparent, a great grandparent, a 
I think was she a great, great, great grandparent, you mm-hmm. know, it's still a loss in general. And, and I feel for the family, but 96 years is that's awfully that's a, good. It is that's good life. Yep. Well, it's historically interesting. Yeah. I'm yeah. just curious how other people felt about it. Cause I, I, yeah. So mixed yeah. feelings, but my main thing is I, I will be interested to see what changes come now. Mm-hmm. I would love yeah. to see that particular throne lose some of its far reaching power. Yeah. I know it earned it by world standards, but I, I would like to see that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been hoping that since 1776. So, uh... <laughs> well, there is that. Yes. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> well, we should get into, I, 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 I can, I can hear it. I can hear it. Get your on mother. with it. Is it your I, mother? Get, <laughs> get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she poked, uh, she get. <laughs> she, <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Our geopolitical musings are fascinating, aren't they? Yeah, everybody wants to know what we have to say about it. Yeah, come on, Matt's mom. <laughs> millions and millions of viewers, I mean, listeners. Yes. yes. Matt's yes. mom, my mom. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Tracy, does your mom listen? Because I feel like she should. <laughs> she should. Absolutely, she should. Well, and we know that we have Jordan. Hopefully, Jordan is still listening. <laughs> 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 I just, I just posted the episode with Jordan's letter yesterday. So, or My this week. Struggling over that. So <laughs> Jordan, if you're listening, we're still thinking about you. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> okay. Wow. This went a lot longer than I thought. We need to get into our discussion for today. Yes, we do. <laughs> we have been having issues today to begin with. We had a late start because of, because of technical stuff. And now but, we're having an even later start because we can't shut up. Because our, Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we are. Yeah. (laughs) So we are talking today in about the book of Zechariah. We're going to be starting in chapter three this week. And so the 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 recap being that the the is I guess we call them Israelites again, don't we? They have come back from. It's all confusing because we had Israel and we had Judah, but now the people who were in Judah went to Babylon. Now they're coming back and now we call them Israelites again. Whatever, you know, it's an well, interesting wait, was Judah. I thought, Jude, wait, are we talking about the was it were they called Judah because they were only the tribe of Judah? Well, the, the southern kingdom was called Judah and it was Judah and Benjamin and part of Manasseh, it was I believe. Two and a half tribes, right? Yeah, yeah, but they were called Judah because it was primarily Judah, uh, but they were still Israelites, they were still the children of Israel, yeah. so exactly. so. But it's just that confusing when you think of the northern tribes were called Israel, the southern tribes were called Judah. It's sort of like it's sort of like Canada and America. Canada is technically part of America, but the United States, we get called Americans. So which I'm just opening another can of worms. Let's not go down that path anyway. uh, So they've come back from Babylon. They started building the temple again. Um, and then we're, we've been seeing this interesting smattering of prophets uh, popping their heads up, kind of like whack-a-mole. You know, they're this one will talk and this one will talk, and they're kind of referring to each other. And so then we get to, into Zechariah now. I'm telling and, you, I think this guy's related to Ezekiel. I'm telling you. Maybe. These maybe. dreams, man. <laughs> He's got some interesting visions, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. So, yeah, we did talk about a couple of them last week. We talked about him, uh, about a measuring line and some horns and such. Well, this, this in chapter three, I was really fascinating with cha- fascinated with chapter three 
because it begins with this vision of the high priest. And this is a vision of the literal high priest of the time who in Zechariah, he's called Joshua, but in other books, he's been referred to as Jeshua, or you could say Yeshua. It's the exact same uh, spelling. It's the same name that we've gotten with Joshua from back who took over for Moses. It's the same spelling as we get for uh, what we now use as Jesus. So very interesting here where we have this high, this vision of this high priest and he is standing before what's called the angel of the Lord. And standing next to him is Satan, who is now opposing the high priest. So did you take this as if Satan is saying, no, this guy can't be high priest? Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. He can't fill this role. because, And this is where, okay, so in the, in the dream... The high priest, Joshua, is dressed in filthy clothes as he stands before um, the angel. And Satan is accusing him and basically saying he doesn't deserve, right? So to me, this was symbolic of God's grace and righteousness covering us like a robe, what the Bible refers to as a robe of righteousness. And it kind of it was the it what came to mind was you know um where it says in in genesis when adam and eve were created they were naked but they didn't have any shame they were not they didn't feel exposed they were covered with god's righteousness until they sinned and so there was no sensation of overexposure that came with their nakedness also there weren't any other neighbors to come over and knock on their door and be like hey i'm here to borrow some sugar whoa you don't have any clothes on so i mean there was that aspect of it as well but to me this was symbolic of being covered with righteousness and grace so the filthy clothes that he was standing there in had he earned those yes those were his natural clothes and satan was using that accusation to say he can't be high priest you can't go into the temple the most holy place in the holy place dressed like that and they're like, no, 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 we've got you. We have a clean robe for you and a clean turban for you. So that was kind of like my sense of what that meant. Mm -hmm. See, I was looking at it even from a messianic point of view also, where kind of it was like, and it was so fascinating to me that, that we have literally Yeshua, or if you will, Jesus as high priest being, uh, being opposed by Satan and, and we, you know, where we know, we know now, thinking back, Jesus took on our filthiness onto himself, where I can see that Satan could go, no, 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 no. He's dirtied himself now. He's he you can't do this now. And the and then God, I'm going to say God, the father, whatever you want to say, is is saying, no, no, this is not the way it's going to work now. I just thought it was really fascinating having this having this literal high priest almost as a representative of high priest jesus uh, uh uh in this in this vision because it seems to me like there's there's all the aspects of it that you were talking about karen of of that representation of our sin and stuff uh but it seemed to me like there's also this this underlying story of jesus and satan and this controversy and is he worthy is he not worthy can he do this and the father going yes he's absolutely worthy yeah, I, I actually disagree with you there because okay. because that was the key to Jesus' success was that he didn't sin. The only True. sins that he bore were everybody else's. And so he maintained, despite Satan's best efforts, he mm -hmm. maintained his purity. 
And so, and that is why he succeeded in his mission. Okay. Yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right about that. There's just some thoughts I had on it. So, but anyway, I I really, I really enjoyed the chapter because there was a lot of stuff there where, where, uh, with this high priest and his representation for our benefit, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we're going to, we're going to clean him up and he's going to be just fine. Um, There was this thing in verse eight where it said, listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you who are men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant the branch. What did you guys think of that? mm -hmm, Yeah, well, that was that seemed like a blatant um, looking forward to uh, to Messiah, which is why to me this all high priest. Yeah, mm -hmm, all this all this felt very, very messianic to me. Like I say, because of that, it almost seems like this is kind of a, a continuation. Because remembering, I mean, of course, this is vision. None of this is literally happening. Right. This is all vision. And so Thanks the fact. <laughs> and so if if in my my looking at it, if Je- uh, Joshua, the high priest, is a type of Jesus. And yes, I agree. Jesus did not get dirty, but he did take our sins on. We know that. We know that in that temple service, the high priest would would symbolically take the sins to himself. Then he would symbolically transfer those sins to the scapegoat, right? Then the scapegoat would get put out and into the wilderness. Uh, So in that sense, in a way, Jesus takes our took our sins on as as the sacrifice. And then as the temple is cleansed and as things go, those sins get transferred to satan where the blame gets put where it belongs and so in a oh what's the allegorical sense you know jesus takes on that that dirtiness and then puts it where it belongs so well if you have that's why it's interesting to me that you can have joshua as this high priest standing in front of of uh the angel of the lord as they call it and and you see all these different aspects of God, like all at one time, uh, in in a in a vision sense, where where all these things are happening. But then do we talk about this branch, and that is that seemed to be very clearly talking about Jesus down the road. Yeah, because um, he's going to come. He's going to fulfill all of those prophetic nuances in the high yes. priest and sacrificial system. And he's mm-hmm. going to become the one and done for for all time. Yeah. Right. The intercessor in, for us in heaven. That cannot mm-hmm. be undone. And, you know, and, and now and now it's now it's finished. Well, let's see that second part there. I mean, it talks about the angel of the Lord says he admonished Joshua saying, if you keep my command, then you shall judge my house and have charge of my courts. Well, Jesus came. He kept the command of the father. He he now is able to be judge. He is able to have charge. Um, he is the branch. Um, there's also talk here about this. What did you think about this stone with seven eyes? What did you think that was all about? That's why I thought he might be related to you. Yeah. I, I, that <laughs> I was just like, wait, what? Okay. Okay. There's a stone there, but wait, it has eyes. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very odd. It's very, it's a very odd vision. Um, I was reading in some notes. I had to go look at a couple of different Bibles. We're reading in some notes, and they were thinking that possibly this stone is yet another representation of Christ, another messianic representation here. 
because you know, remember the 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 vision, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's vision, where um, you know the stone comes in and, and dest- you know destroys everything, and that stone was representative of Jesus. And then the eyes, they were saying maybe these eyes represent, um, how did they put it, uh, 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 like an omniscience, like an all you know infinite wisdom type of thing. Um, so my Bible everything. has a little note down at the bottom that says that another translation for the word eyes could be facets. Okay. So like jewels. Yeah. 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 I can see that too. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't know. It's, it's very interesting, but uh, could, it could be representative of infinite intelligence. Seven. There was completeness. Seven is complete, and so if if you think of it in intelligence or omniscience, then it's like complete intelligence. Hard hard to say, hard to say a hundred percent for sure. But these aren't these aren't images that we're ter- all that unfamiliar with. It seems like we can maybe glean a little bit from what we've read before about things like this with stones and eyes, just like when we were going through Daniel and we could see how one beast could relate to another beast and and aspects of one could relate to the aspects of another. So it's it, it seems fairly it seems I feel fairly confident in thinking that this whole this whole chapter really not just this chapter, but a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about today, this entire book is a, is a lot of facets of of Jesus, of Christ's ministry in heaven, of Christ's ministry here, all the things that he's he's going to do, Just all these different ways that God is kind of trying to give an idea of who he is, who Jesus is, you know, things that we can kind of grasp onto and, and uh, have some uh, ha- have some concept uh, to be able to to compare and contrast these ideas together. Now there was also some some uh, speculation in one of the notes I was reading somewhere that this might have been the foundation stone for the temple, which I thought was interesting, like a like a cornerstone. You know, there's other visions that people have of the cornerstones or other or the passages about the cornerstone of the temple. And well, so the yeah, so there was there's that aspect of it, but then if I think about what God says, it says okay, so there are mm, let's see. Um, see the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes or facets on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it. But then he doesn't say what the inscription is, says the Lord God Almighty. And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. So that could be symbolic of Jesus. Sure. But then he goes on in that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree. Okay. Well, that's symbolic of thriving. So that sounds like it's more local to the to the Israelites coming back and settling and rebuilding and doing their thing. And they're going to become prosperous again. Right. So their, mm-hmm. their crops are doing well and they have enough leisure time to invite their neighbors over and sit. So that's kind of, there's definitely like this multifaceted thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, I think, yeah, there's a lot of things going on with it. And uh, well, we're not, we're not uh, experts on prophecy. So it's, uh, it's kind of, it's some of it here is, is just our, interpretations and telling you i felt pretty smart until reading through the bible and then i'm like oh yeah no (laughs) (laughs) Mm -mm. (laughs) well we get into chapter four and we get a vision 
I would, I'd be curious to know if Zachariah was having all this vision all at once, or if these were like separate, if these were like separate visions, you know, like, like one night he's dreaming about this coming branch. One night he's dreaming about this lampstand. Cause the next vision he has is of, of a gold lampstand, which we've seen. We've seen, uh, lampstands in the temple. Um, I don't, you know, I think this is a little different than just, uh, you know, the common thing that people would have in their homes at the time, because those were generally made out of, you know, their lamps were made out of clay. They were almost more like a bowl than than what you would consider uh, like a lamp. So a, a, a solid gold uh, lampstand says with a bowl on top, seven pipes to seven lamps. And then there's two olive trees next to the lampstand to the right and left. And Zachariah doesn't understand what he's seeing. And <laughs> I was sort of getting a kick out of the way that this angel was referring to Daniel because Daniel wouldn't understand something. And the, <laughs> the angel would say, well, don't you understand it? And Dan or not. I said, Daniel, Zachariah would be like, uh, uh, no, I just said I don't understand it. <laughs> um and it's kind of like, well, I'm kind of with you there, Zechariah, because yeah, some of blank this stare, is, blank stare. Yeah, we don't get it either. Yeah, <laughs> right, with the, right, right with you. Where there's there, Zechariah. <laughs> yeah, but it'd be things like, you know, well, what do you see? Well, I see a lampstand. Uh, what is it? Don't you know what it is? Um, no, I don't I get what it is. No. <laughs> it's funny you should ask. No. Can you slow blink? Can you slow blink an angel, or is that super disrespectful? <laughs> no. No, there is some there is some description or uh, uh, explanation given to us in the text about what what's going on there, um, but not not quite right away, because there there seems to me in verse six it seems like it's sort of a departure from the vision i mean it's all within the vision but it got it goes it starts talking about zerubbabel who if uh i'm trying to remember now zerubbabel was um oh shoot we just talked about him um not that long ago because if you remember he was the one who was chosen uh this was back in haggai he was chosen to be what God said he was going to be a signet for him, uh, like a signet ring for for God. And uh, so he's brought up here again and it says, how did it put it? It said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And I was curious, why bring up Zerubbabel here again? And so I decided to go look and. See what his name and his name means basically from Babylon or as I kind of reinterpreted it came out of Babylon. And so as we're seeing this lampstand and then God says this thing uh, to somebody whose name is came out of Babylon and reminding them that it's not going to be, I guess, human power, human might. It's going to be God's spirit that is going to prevail and make everything go well. And then. It talks about how Zerubbabel is going to bring this, bring the capstone for this temple and lay the foundation. He's, he's laid the foundation of the temple and finish it. And I don't know. I think I think a big part of this vision is talking about coming out of Babylon. It's sort of a I don't know. It's a it's an odd way of doing it. But how we've talked about how Babylon Babylon, like when we get down into uh, Revelation, Babylon represents 
the the integration of false ideas into the true religion that Christ tries to get us to follow. And I am all over the place with this. Jump in and help me because <laughs> because it's a it's like a it's like this abstract thought that sort of makes sense in my mind, but I don't know quite how to put it all into words. Well, but. I would never even try to guess what's in your mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the way that I read this was actually quite literal. Okay. Um, so to me, I took this as similar to, do you remember the old reference in Genesis where, um, where Methuselah wasn't going to die there? The flood wasn't going to happen until Methuselah died. Okay. And then he and then he lived to be the oldest man, right? Mm -hmm. So clearly there were some things that still needed to happen on the earth. But like that's how I took this. Like um Zerubbabel was there and he started this rebuilding process and he's gonna finish it as well. Like I took it as just a literal statement. This is gonna happen and it's gonna happen within this person's lifetime. Because remember, they came back with money and instructions and building supplies and everything from Cyrus. And then they laid the foundations and then they all wandered off like the surrounding um, nations were giving them a hard time and they needed houses and they needed a wall for security. And so it sat there for like 20 years. And so to me, this was God putting them back on track by in the form of a prophecy like it is going to happen. Zerubbabel started it and he's going to finish it as well. Mm -hmm. It will happen within this man's lifetime. So to me, it was just a, a re a recenter. This is going to happen. And once God says so, then all the people are going to start working on it again because they've been given a timeline. Yeah, well, I saw the literal aspects of it as well. But, you know, the way God has a tendency to do more than one thing at, at a time, it, it just it felt to me like this was yet another aspect of of Jesus's ministry, too. Because if, you know, if we go back and thinking of Zerubbabel as uh, as that signet, you know, if he's like seen as the one who what he does is is what uh, is what God has wanted to be done. Then in some ways I see him as a sort of a representative of Christ. And especially when we get into prophetic visions. Um, yes, he yes, this will happen in his lifetime. But when you think about it, as he's the one who sets this capstone, he's the one who completes the temple. Uh, I, I could, I could just, I can see how that can relate to to Jesus as the cornerstone, as the capstone, as completing the purposes of the temple. See, that's where I was going with it, as far as the high priest aspect, the cornerstone aspect. These are all integral parts of Jesus's mission here on earth or, mm -hmm. or his fulfillment of prophecy and doing his time on earth and then ascending to be that cornerstone high priest everything and um for us mm -hmm. yeah yeah so so yes absolutely for the people right at the time that they i don't think they would have understood that obviously they didn't have our hindsight to be able to look back and apply the life and and ministry of jesus to this uh, it would have made it would have made very literal, immediate sense to them and seeing that it's going to happen. And when they see it happens, they'll say, hey, look, remember, Zachariah said it was going to happen and it did. And, and and then now we looking back on it are able to go, oh, wow, look at that. It was that plus 
plus more. At least that's my that was my take on it. I don't know. Um, I'm actually one who believes that God has that strong of a plan for all of our lives. Mm -hmm. Maybe the result isn't as dramatic, but I, Mm -hmm. I actually believe that God has a specific thing that he wants all of us to do. Yeah. So I think if you're gonna, I think if you're gonna take it literally to the Israelites of the day, and then you're gonna stretch it out to messianic completion, I think you can also turn it inside and aim it directly at yourself, and sure. be like, if I were sure. to hear a prophecy of my little splash zone of what's around me, and what I was going to do during my lifeline, what would that sound like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. We. Uh... We can very easily try to compartmentalize God and God's like, like you have no, you don't, <laughs> you have no idea the level of chess that I'm playing with you people right now. <laughs> yeah. Level of chess that I'm playing, but also like you're my child and I've called mm-hmm. you to do a thing. You're part of the family. Yeah. Do you get to work now? Right. For example, we know that Tracy's is painting. Oh. Tracy has been called to paint forever. He's just going <laughs> to paint forever. Only for a season. <laughs> <laughs> Just a season, Karen. Just a season. I feel like it's forever. <laughs> no. No. Oh. Tracy is a retired painter. Calling right here. On the air, Tracy rejects his calling. Noted. <laughs> no, no more painting for Tracy. <laughs> oh. Well. <laughs> well, then the vision shifts back to this lamp, then. Um, actually, let me back that up just a minute. Because they do say... Uh, who who says it? Verse ten says that the seven eyes of the stone are the eyes of the Lord, and so that gives us a little context to that the the weird Ezekiel vision he's having of the stone with the eyes, and so that t- that tells me that we probably are talking about wisdom, uh, all being all seeing, all knowing, knowing what's going on. But then it goes back to this vision that he's having right now. So maybe this is like maybe this is like one scene shifts to another shifts to another. You know, if you have ever had a dream and you can think back and remember it and all of a sudden you find yourself in a different place and in the dream, it makes sense. Later on, you go, that wouldn't have made sense at all in in real life. But it it, it shifts now back to what he's seeing now with this lampstand and then these olive trees that are standing next to the olive trees. And again, he's like, do you know what they are? No, I don't know what they are. It says they are the two anointed ones. Who stand beside the Lord and the whole earth? Did you guys have any speculation on who the anointed ones are? I saw some notes here about what that might mean, uh, but I'd be curious if you guys came up with anything. No, I didn't. I'm going to say that's probably no. So the notes that I came up with as two anointed ones, they said, I don't remember which book I was reading in, if it was my cultural relevance or if it was my NIV study Bible. Anyway, they said possibly these could be. Uh, represented, it could be Zerubbabel representing the line of David, and it could be Joshua representing the high priest. And so here again, if you have line of David and high priest, it's like yet again, we have yet another representation of Jesus in this vision, this crazy, weird vision that he's having. And of course, they're dripping oil into the into the lamp. And I think we've probably talked about here before where oil represents the Holy Spirit, this in, this interesting integration all going on with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father, all these things happening all at one time. I, I thought that was, a, I, thought, I, I don't know, to me that was kind of another interesting aspect of things to look at. Now, why is Zechariah being shown these specifically? 
I don't totally understand other than it's other than it's imagery that we have seen. We will see similar imagery again and all of it is representing Jesus, his ministries, his uh, his his life, the things that he's tried to teach us, as well as things that were happening right there at the time uh, with Israel. So that is going to be my story on that. And I'm going to stick with it. And I know you guys are going to go Well, that's, that's more than I got out of it. I, <laughs> yeah, I, but I'm the person who goes to an art gallery and looks at abstract art, art and goes, mm, okay. Yeah. And then just wanders on by. Cause like if they didn't, if they, if they wanted it to be understood, they would have painted it so that I could understand it. And I'm just mm -hmm. not for the, for the masses would have painted it for the masses. Yeah. Apparently, yeah, I'm the masses, which is, that's very insulting, Tracy. Thank you, because I don't consider the masses intelligent, but whatever. <laughs> it's all in your perspective. Yeah. perspective. No, you know, I'm with you, though. You know, you hear about people talking about books and, you know, and, oh, you know, this, like, Moby Dick, oh, the, the, the whale represents such and such, and the captain is this and this, and I'm going, it's a whale. <laughs> Story about a whale, guys. <laughs> you know, and so if somebody wants me to explain, understand something better, you got to explain it to me. So I'm kind of like Zechariah. We're like, don't you know what it is? And no, I don't. Please explain to me. <laughs> and I will, I will take your word for it. Okay. So as we step into chapter five, then this division either shifts again, or he has a, a totally separate vision. Um, he sees a, sounds to me like a really, really big giant flying scroll scroll flying through the air 20 cubits long 20 cubits wide that's a big piece of paper i wonder it's flying yeah the wind is blowing and it's taking it away <laughs> uh, so he sees this scroll and this angel i guess it's still the angel this uh yeah this angel who's been talking to zechariah this whole time uh he says that it is a curse on the earth and on one side of the paper, it seems like it's saying that thieves are going to be expelled. And on the other side, it's saying that perjurers are going to be expelled. Uh, basically, uh, all the misbehavior will will be purged. And so the, this curse goes out over the, over the whole world. And there's not a whole lot there actually said about it. That, But I'll, it's just like this, this, this declaration that... That God is going to take care of those things, I guess. Interesting that it needs to be pointed out in a vision. Maybe it's just uh, reassurance, I guess, maybe I would say, that that these things are going to be handled. Interesting that it's so big to me. Interesting. Yeah, interesting that it's that, it, that it's this giant scroll. And interesting then that God is pointing out that these things will be handled. I guess those are things that have never really gone away. Um, when I think of, you know, I don't like getting lied to and I don't like getting stolen from. I've often said I would rather have somebody punch me in the face than steal from me. Um, yeah. You know, I, I. When the kids were growing up, I had I had a few sort of hard and fast rules. And one of them was, you know, like, don't lie to me. I would rather know something that I don't that I wish wasn't true and be able to deal with it than to have you not be telling me the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I never, I've never really understood when somebody wants to perpetuate a lie. It's like, what good is that doing anybody? You, 
It's usually just embarrassment. Yeah, I think maybe it's embarrassment trying to stay out of or trying to stay out of trouble. I, I remember when uh, when Bill Clinton was caught, you know, sort of doing his thing with whatever that girl's name was. Mm-hmm. And and then everyone was like, oh, he lied about it. I'm like, do a lot of people caught in adultery not try to lie about it? Because I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's normal behavior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah there's certain things that people are embarrassed of and they try and cover it up. And there's deceit. There's deceit mm-hmm. because I'm going to do something crappy and I don't want you to know. Or there's deceit because I did something crappy and I got caught and I'm embarrassed and I don't want people to know. So I'm just going to stand here and, and go, uh-uh, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. So when yeah. I first read this, I was like, oh, it's a curse, right? Because it says that. This is the curse that is going out over the whole land. But then it's only a curse to people who have done wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's in, yeah, interesting on those that aspect then uh, as a curse. You, If you're on the right side, you don't have to worry about it. And I guess that's, a, you know, that's something we've talked about here on the podcast before, too, is, mm-hmm. you know, is judgment something that you fear or is some judgment something that you look forward to? And well, Can I, I say guess. Yes. <laughs> the above option. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my record's not clean. Mm. Uh huh. Yeah, but well, none of it, it. It isn't for any of us. But but you know, by and large, I mean, I feel like if our if our relationship with Christ is strong and good, and we are, you know, we're trying to do the things He wants us to do because we love Him and we understand that He's uh, He's working for our benefit, then judgment isn't as daunting to us as it is to others who don't have a good relationship. Right. It's a and, relief instead. Like how yeah. many Psalms did David write where he was like, please come and take vengeance on my enemies. Can't you see what they're doing? Mm-hmm. They're doing wrong. I'm over here trying to serve you and they're doing wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this was interesting. Like, um, so God equates, you know, and we, and I understand that in the Bible, what, what is it? Um, whoever, whoever uh, breaks one of the least of these commandments has broken all of them or whatever like that. Mm -hmm. Like, like if you've, if you've sinned, you've broken the law, but we here on earth, we tend to grade, we tend to grade the commandments from, you know, bad to worse and like, Oh, well, that's just a small sin or, Oh, well, that one's really kind of understandable or whatever. Right. But in this case, this gives you God's point of view because he's got, you've got stealing, right. In whatever form that takes. And you have people who swear falsely by God's name. Those are the two that are specifically called out. He says he's going to send this curse, this scroll, punishment. It will enter the house of the thief and the house of anyone who swears falsely by my name. It will remain in that house and destroy it completely, both its timbers and its stones. So from the walls to the foundations. Like Mm. that's. You know, swearing falsely by God's name is like, wow, like he feels very strongly about his name. But that actually reminded me of the times where we've been reading so far where God will say, I swear by myself, Mm -hmm. you know, know, blah, 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 whatever the rest he was going to say. And I'm like, yeah, apparently to him, knowing himself, like there is no higher oath. So if you swear by God falsely, like that's a really big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so so uh, this will this is going to get handled, and uh, it's it is just yeah it's destructive. Well, the vision shifts again, or again a different vision. At any rate, uh, he gets a vision of a woman in a basket. <laughs> I don't know. This is this one. This one just felt really weird to me. 
there's a, there's a lot of things in this that I find interesting, but it just sort of feels weird to me that we get just uh, the, a picture of a woman in a basket and she gets pushed down into this basket with a lead lid over the top. So this is like, I guess it's sort of feeling fairly like a fairly permanent solution sort of ish of, of putting this woman aside. And then we get something really weird. And it's something that I have said long that doesn't exist. We get these two women with stork wings that come. Now I've always said, we never get a vision of humans with wings in the Bible. And here I'm proven wrong. Um, however, they're not referred to as angels. So that's a, that's a little aside here, but they're and, and it's all in a, in a vision, but, uh, what, we're told that this woman represents wickedness. And so she's put into this basket with this lid over it. And then these women with wings, they take the basket and fly it away. And then we're going to, it says they're going to build a house for it in Shinar, which I had to look around different translations said uh, Babylonia. I think the NIV said instead of Shinar, Babylonia, said Babylonia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yep. so it's so here again, Babylon is not viewed as something good not something for us to attain to just like the people they went but they wanted to come back and 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 it's viewed as a good thing that they left uh whatever this is that's being taken away this wickedness that's being taken away to babylon it's like that's where it belongs that's where it's gonna go we're gonna put it there that's how we're gonna deal with it any any thoughts on that odd vision um i was surprised that they knew what lead was Really? Yeah. Huh. It's heavy. I know that's the, kind of the point of it is that it's heavy. And uh, it's natural. It's, it's fairly natural. elements. Yeah. And, a periodic uh, table. Uh, but they found it. Maybe I don't understand how they mine it. I don't think they probably knew the things about lead we know now, where it's basically poisonous. Uh, so, I, yeah, I'm a little curious about how the how yeah. the mining and stuff of it would have gone. I would imagine... I would imagine people got sick and didn't know why. Well, what am I talking about? Because they were making metal alloys, right? Mm-hmm. The people of right. um, Philistia were making swords and plowshares and all of the things like that. So like when the Hebrews went into that area, when the Israelites went into Canaan, they didn't learn to work metals because they would just go buy it from the Philistines. Remember that? Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the, so there were, I mean, if they, if they knew how to do metal alloys, then they knew how to mine. They knew right. what the different elements were, and they knew how to get them out of the earth. That just kind of surprised me, because um, up until this, the earliest reference that I had seen to the active use of lead in a normal sort of society was in Pompeii. I went to see a thing about Pompeii when it was uh, when it came through the museum in Denver a few years ago when I lived there, and um, they, they had uh, water jugs that were insulated to help keep the water cold and they were insulated with a solid layer of lead oh oh so oh. that was the earliest reference i had heard to lead until this so mm. it just surprised me when i read it oh okay yeah well i get the impression here though that the, the whole point of this again just like with the scroll now we have this stuff is going to get dealt with it's going to get taken away it's going to get put away it's going to get it's just going to be over there instead of here. And of course, in this case, Babylon is being or Babylonia, I suppose. Babylon was the city. Babylonia was the region. But the point being, 
that if we see Jerusalem, Israel as that representation of God's kingdom, this stuff won't be here. And so uh, I think that's what we're that's what we're seeing there. And yeah, and then the the vision of those two women with the wings that was interesting to me. I'd be curious to know what that looked like exactly, because to my knowledge, it's the only place we get in the Bible of people with wings. And so just little little side interest in my mind there, but they are not referred to as as angels. So that's just me. Now, as we step into chapter six, the vision shifts again. And Zechariah is having a vision of four chariots. Uh, it says four chariots between two mountains of bronze. Uh, four chariots, each are being pulled by horses of different colors, red, black, white, and what they were calling dappled. And so uh, I wish Amy was here because she could talk about the horses. But um, dappled means, dappled means, have you ever seen the horses where they're like gray on gray? Yeah. Like there's a definite pattern on their hide, but it's gray on gray. Mm-hmm. That's dappled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. Okay. And so the black horses, it says, are going to go to the north country. The white horses are going to follow the black horses. The dappled horses are going to go to the south country. It never really says what happens with the red horses, though. Well, Unless they go I... east, obviously. That's the only direction left. Must be, I guess. Yeah, it's the only place that's left. And this angel says that these are the four spirits of heaven. And the horses walk to and fro throughout the earth. And... The horses going to the north country are given spirit to how has they they have given rest to my spirit in the north country is is what this angel says. You know, walking to and fro on the earth. Generally, when we hear that phrase, it's talking about claiming. You know, making claim to something. Ownership, yep. but specifically the horses going to the north. Giving rest to my spirit, and my spirit is all capitalized in the New King James anyway, um, in the North Country. And so, what are we talking about with the North Country and giving rest to the, his spirit in the North Country? I wonder. Um, I'm. I don't. I don't have a lot of insight on yeah, this vision. You know, I was looking at this, and I put in my notes <laughs> if there was any correlations to the four winds in Revelation. Uh huh. You know, being the four spirits, four stations. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I have a big question mark. I didn't know. But that's yeah. the only time I attribute, like, four spirits, four winds, those being released. It makes sense to me, if that's the case. Um, you know, the, I mean, there's a few things here that were pointing me to want to look at Revelation. Of course, the horses with different colors, that reminds me of the, the different horses... Uh, being ridden by the riders, what we refer to now as the horsemen of the apocalypse. Those, I think, all those colors are very similar to what's happening there. Um, like you say, the the four winds. Um, if I remember right, when we were studying here back a while back, there were four horns that were re- representing four winds, and so uh, maybe this is something sort of like messages going out to the world. You know, God's maybe this is God's message going out to the entire world from, uh, you know, from the central location uh, and, and, you know, able to then make claim ultimately as the horses walk to and fro. And uh, I wish 
I, I don't know. I wish I knew more about the uh, imagery here. Understood more of the imagery. I'm I'm not a hundred percent. Not I'm not 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 even close to a hundred percent sure on what all of it represents. But that's sort of my my thoughts here. Is that uh, I'm with you. Kind of the winds so, going out. And if we look back at chapter one, and this is a different dream. Do you remember that he saw some horses before? Yes. So yeah, there were in chapter one, starting in verse eight, there was a man mounted on a red horse and then there were red brown and white horses without riders and he asks what they are and and it says um in verse 10 the man standing among the myrtle trees explained they are the ones the lord has sent to go throughout the earth they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees. We have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and at peace. So it could just be like an investigative force or mm -hmm. something like that. If that. I mean, it could be that that's the imagery that was used for horses before even yep. the riderless ones. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is interesting to me then it goes from what I took to be single riderless horses at the time now to multiple horses pulling chariots i mean chariots generally are used for and, and i don't know and my my thought processes here is that the chariots are generally used for war more than just more than just general transportation although that would have happened as well uh that there's more it seems like maybe there's more happening here at this point we don't get a lot of explanation on it. I guess it's for it's for contemplation and uh, consideration to just consider. Mm. What was that? I said good luck with that with me. Oh yeah. Well, me, my, me and my not love of abstract thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think as if we keep our minds open as we study, we're you know, we'll be reminded of this. We're you know we're going to see horses again in visions. We're going to see similar stuff and i just i have a feeling that it all kind of correlates um and maybe it wasn't meant for zachariah to have a have a full understanding of it at the time in fact i suspect it wasn't it was more for him to relay just like i want you to show everybody this i want you to write about this uh and and uh that it'll it'll be there and it'll be a part of a it'll be a part of the big picture eventually so then the chapter then ends with and I'm taking this all to still be in vision. A, a crown gets made. It says it's made from silver and gold from the captives of Babylon. Now we're still in vision. And it says it's set on the head of Joshua. So Joshua, the high priest, is being crowned. And God goes right in. He says, behold, the man whose name is the branch. So as this crown is being set on Joshua's head, God is like pointing, look, there is the branch. This is, I mean, how many times have we heard that phrase of the branch throughout this vision now? Uh, I, you know, and, and we, I think we are kind of in agreement that when we're talking about this branch, we're talking about Jesus here again. It's interesting to me that Joshua or his name would have been pronounced. Yeshua is high priest. He is being crowned. He is the one who is building the temple. He is the one who's going to be the priest on the throne. You know, and I, I had in my notes, too, you know, I'm wondering if, if too, in the New Testament, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, if they were looking at Zechariah and 
and kind of developing this, their idea of the branch and the throne and taking over as being here in the world. You know what I mean? Because if we look mm -hmm. there in like 13, he'll build up his temple, bear glory, sit and rule the throne, be priest on his throne, the council of peace between them both. You know, I'm wondering if that's where they got their misconception that it was going to be here on Earth. Yeah. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, just like we were saying before, where we where we can see the immediate physical uh, uh, yes. aspects, you know, um, I don't blame them for for seeing that and, and taking that uh, that misinterpretation. And maybe it's not a total misinterpretation. You know, if if Joshua is is uh, being set up, you know, if this physical priest Joshua is being set up in this aspect, uh, you can see that. And, you know, Israel always had this concept of wanting to be this great power on Earth and mm -hmm. and basically seeing their their role as being the here and now. Uh, so I. I, I can't I really can't fault them on that at all. You know, and if even if you I don't know if we're we're there yet, but even if you go to, to fifteen and this shall come to pass if you if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. You mm -hmm. know, and I wonder if that's why they, you know, gravitated towards just the legalistic aspect and trying to adhere so closely with rules and and that kind of structure. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, they're yeah, like they're finally they're finally grasping onto those if then statements. They finally mm -hmm. understood that if they that at least a piece of the reason that they got taken away was because they hadn't been following God's commands. And now they have this huge desire to follow God's commands and thereby uh, keeping their nation strong, you know, that keeps that nationality that uh, that they've had. Uh, that, that that sense of of purpose and pride keeps that strong. Um, you can see why they would want to go down that way. But this really did feel to me like this was uh, symbolic of the crowning of of Jesus again as a, as the high priest, as the as the ultimate ruler, ultimate power in the universe as well, and that Joshua the 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 humanly high, human high priest is is just being used as an example for that because because God's you know the father's uh, the phrases he's using there you know pointing to him calling him the branch calling him uh, the priest on the throne it just felt very feels very uh, symbolic of Jesus to me I well I don't think it has to feel symbolic to me. I think it, it, to me it feels pretty pretty obvious that this is talking about Jesus, and we're able to see that from from a hindsight. But yeah, like you say, where the people of the time might have seen this as uh, just a very worldly worldly power setup for their for their priesthood. All right. Well, do you think we've done enough uh, work on confusing damage. the masses? <laughs> enough damage. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, we're not experts on on these visions and stuff. Uh, you know, we're just uh, today we're just three people who are trying to put our thoughts into what what uh, is. <laughs> it's not laid out in any kind of a way that is directly directly interpretable, and, and it takes some 
it, it takes some thought and kind of processing. And sometimes, you know, I don't think these thoughts are necessarily meant to be something that we can put into specific words, but more they're just the abstract ideas that that kind of float around in our brains as, as we contemplate who God is and what he's like and understanding, you know, from the things we've seen where God is going to take care of sin, where he is going to, and by take care of, I mean, get rid of, uh, put it away uh, where Jesus has, has functioned as has and does function as our high priest, taking our sins on himself and, and pushing them away to where they belong. Those are the things that to really take from it. And understanding that these messages just they go out and they're they're there to be thought about, contemplated, meditated on as we just try to think about who God is and what he does for us, what is what his what his role is in our life. So it's interesting, if at times a bit confusing, uh, some of these things I I really enjoyed reading and and uh, contemplating on. And some of them I was just kind of going what and scratching my head so sounds like i wasn't alone in that though any final no. thoughts i think because uh, that's about the end of chapter six okay with that i think that will be our time for today next week we will continue in the book of zechariah chapter seven we'll probably read chapter seven uh through eleven and while you are reading that and waiting for us remember you can reach out to us at attb podcast with any questions or comments uh, if you have questions about these <laughs> these visions, um, we'll try. If you have comments, actually, you know, if you have insights in them, I'd love to hear them. So uh, reach out to us at atvpodcast at theadventure.org. Remember that you can look us up on Facebook. Please be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family. And make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so we reach you in your feed each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.